As the coronavirus continues to wreak havoc, scientists around the globe are working tirelessly to develop a vaccine so that our lives can go back to normal. However, getting volunteers to be human guinea pigs to try it out a new vaccine is a challenging process. It is deemed too risky by many. During these trials, healthy and young volunteers are deliberately infected with the virus, and then they are given the trial vaccine to see if it works. Surprisingly, a 35-year-old man in India named Akash Gupta has offered himself for human trial of the COVID-19 vaccine when no one else is willing to come forward. Akash Gupta is married and the father of two sons, but he has petitioned the prime minister to let him be a test subject. He said, I saw on TV how researchers are testing vaccines on animals because no human is willing to come forward. It was then that I decided to volunteer for the cause, as there can be no greater service towards this country and humanity. In this hour of crisis, he said, if the country's scientists need specimens for human trial to develop a vaccine against coronavirus, I'm ready to give my body for this experiment. I'm ready to sacrifice my life so that the lives of scores of people around the world can be saved. Gupta's offer is noble. It's admirable, even though many of us might think Gupta is being foolish. In an even greater way, Jesus sacrificed himself on our behalf, knowing that his sacrifice meant certain death. Commenting on Jesus' sacrifice, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, 7, and 8, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, giving his very life, not for good people, but for the very people who had sinned and rebelled against him. So great was his love for us that he sacrificed himself so that we could go free from the penalty of our sins, eternity in hell. Please watch this fourth video from the story of Redemption Films. Here is Dr. James Norrit. After Jesus was condemned by Pontius Pilate, he was led away to be crucified. And a man named Simon of Cyrene was drafted by the soldiers to help him carry his cross. And they came to Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. And the soldiers offered Jesus bile to drink, but he refused. And there Jesus was crucified, undergoing a cruel, painful, humiliating death. Matthew records these words. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. 
Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Matthew's crucifixion account is filled with irony. The sign which was placed above Jesus' head, which was meant to mock him, read, King of the Jews. And yet Jesus really was the King of the Jews. Those who laugh at his claim to be able to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, fail to realize that in three days, the Father in heaven would rebuild the temple of his body and would raise Jesus from the dead. The religious leaders call on Jesus to come down from the cross if he really is the Son of God. And yet, if Jesus had done this, neither they nor we would be able to receive salvation. And the criminals who are at his sides, who mock him, fail to realize that they are making fun of the creator of the universe. Jesus on the cross took on all the pain, all the suffering, and all the sins, not only for us, but of all peoples who have ever lived. He went through this willingly so that we might find redemption and receive forgiveness of sins and have our relationship with God and others restored. Christ went to the cross for us out of his great love for us. And because of that love and that sacrifice, we love others and we sacrifice our lives for God and for others. We give up our sin, our pride, and all that charms us most so that we can find a life filled with meaning in loving God, loving others, and serving Him. Solomon Rosenberg and his wife and two sons and his father and mother were placed in a Nazi concentration camp in World War II. And the rules of this concentration camp were simple. As long as you could still do your work, you were allowed to live. But if you could no longer work, you would be exterminated. Sadly, Rosenberg watched his father and mother be marched off to their deaths. And he knew that his youngest son, David, would likely be next. Because David, though a precious child, had always been frail and weak. And each day, Rosenberg came back from a hard day's labor. He would search for the faces of his family. And he would find them. And they would huddle together. And there they would thank God for another day of life. One evening, Rosenberg came back and his worst fears were realized. He looked around frantically for his youngest son, David, and he saw his oldest son, Joshua, huddled, crying in a corner. And he came up to him, he said, Joshua, please tell me it's not true. And Joshua, crying, said, Oh, Papa, it is true. David was too weak, and they came for him to take him away. And Rosenberg looked around and said, but where is your mother? 
and he said, oh, Papa, David was so afraid. He was crying. And Mama said, David, there's nothing to worry about. And she took him by his hand and went with him. Jesus said that when he would be lifted up, he would draw all people to himself. And indeed, there is something about the cross that draws us together. And at the cross, we become that loving, Christ-centered community. John's Gospel tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, he said to his mother, Mother, behold your son. And to John he said, Behold your mother. At the cross, we become a Christ-centered family, bound together by Christ's love and sacrifice for us. The cross is at the heart of the redemption story. So how about you? What does the story of the cross mean for your life? How does it impact you? And what is it you feel that God is calling you to do in response? What redeemed us from death and hell was not a vast sum of money paid by some generous benefactor. It was not a ton of gold bars or millions in euros or bitcoins. We were not redeemed by currency from this world at all, but by the precious blood of the Son of God. In fact, Jesus came to earth for this very reason, to redeem our lives from the pit of hell. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, the sinless Son of God. We were condemned. We were like dead men walking. We had no hope, no way of escape. If Jesus had not intervened, we would have spent eternity in hell and God would have been totally justified in leaving us there. Some people try to blame God for all the evil in the world, but it is not his fault. We dare not blame our sins on God as if we couldn't help ourselves. We can't say, the devil made me do it, or simply excuse ourselves by saying, I'm sorry, I just couldn't help myself. We all have sinned against God by giving in to the temptations of pride, selfishness, greed, arrogance, or rebellion. The consequences of sin, death, and hell are deserved. We have a staggering debt to pay. God is not the cause of our condemnation. We are. But He is the one who offers us redemption, our purchase back from the grave. So what is redemption. When I was a boy, we used to collect Coke and Pepsi bottles because they were worth five cents each. We could carry them to the grocery store and the grocer would redeem them for five cents each. And it seemed like a great deal to me. You present this empty bottle and that would bring me five cents or maybe 20 empty bottles. It would bring me a dollar. Today, my wife redeems coupons when we go out to eat. In fact, her friend Jill and her have this running game to see who can save the most money when we go out to eat together. A small slip of paper 
or an image on their smartphones can be worth $10 or more when it is redeemed. But these redemptions pale in comparison to the price that was paid for our freedom. When Jesus gave his life for ours, the price was higher than any ransom that has ever been paid. The price was the blood of the only begotten Son of God. Our sin debt was more than we could pay, and yet Jesus exchanged his own precious life for ours. We did not deserve this exchange, but Jesus freely gave up his life so that we could go free. I wonder if we really know and appreciate how great that price was. I wonder if we know at what cost our freedom was won. Are we grateful for what he did? Do we even know personally what grace looks like? Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, tells the following story. A couple's prodigal daughter grew up in a small town called Traverse City, Michigan. Disgusted with her old-fashioned parents who overreacted to her nose ring, the music she listens to, the length of her skirts, runs away. She ends up in Detroit where she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. The man with the big car, she calls him boss, recognizes that she's underage and that men would pay a premium for her. So she goes to work for him. Things are good for a while. Life is good, but she gets sick for a few days and it amazes her how quickly her boss turns mean before she knows that she's out on the street without a penny to her name. She still turns a few tricks each night, but all of the money goes to support her drug habit. One night while sleeping on metal grates in the city, she begins to feel less like a woman of the world and more like a little girl. She begins to whimper to herself, God, why did I leave? My dog back home eats better than I do. She knows that more than anything in the world, she wants to go home. Three straight calls home, get three straight connections with the answering machine. Finally, she leaves a message. Mom, Dad, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and it'll get there about midnight tomorrow night. If you're not there, I'll understand. During the seven-hour bus ride, she's preparing a speech for her father. And when the bus comes to a stop in the Traverse City Station, the driver announces the 15-minute stop. 15 minutes to decide her life. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. But not one of the thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepares her for what she now sees. There in the bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and great-grandmother to boot. They're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers. Taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a computer-generated banner that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares out through the tears, quivering in her eyes, and begins her memorized speech, but he interrupts her. Hush, child. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. We'll be late. A big party is waiting for you at home. Grace. Do we know what grace is? The Romans had designed crucifixion to be one of the most horrible ways to die, if not the worst ever. Even before he was crucified, Jesus suffered tremendous physical abuse at the hands of the Roman soldiers. 
who whipped him with a cat of nine tails and beat him with their fists and a wooden staff. He lost even more blood as he carried his cross up to Golgotha, the place of execution. Jesus' death came quicker than the thieves crucified with him, not only because of the things he suffered, but also because of the tremendous load of guilt he carried, our guilt. The weight of the sins of the whole world fell upon his shoulders. In addition, he suffered separation from his father for the first and only time in his life. Jesus paid the debt we owed. He shouldered our burden, your burden and mine. He paid the tremendous debt of our penalties so we could go free. Grace is God's righteousness at Christ's expense. James Norred asked two great questions at the end of today's video. What does the story of the cross say to your life? And what does God want you to do in response? I wonder, what does Jesus' sacrifice mean to you? Do you understand how much Jesus must love you in order to give his life for your redemption? If you do, are you willing to give him your life now out of gratitude and love? His grace must be received by our faith. Remember what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. An older boy stood defiantly in the school's principal's office. He said, go ahead, give it to me. The principal looked at the young rebel and asked, how many times have you been in here? The boy sneered rebelliously, apparently not enough. And you've been punished each time? The principal replied, yeah, I've been punished if that's what you want to call it. Go ahead. I can take whatever you dish out. I always have. And no thought of your punishment enters your head the next time you decide to break the rules, the principal asked. Nope, I do whatever I want to do. Ain't nothing you people going to do to stop me either. The principal held up his hand and quietly said, well, today is the day you learn about grace. Grace, is that what you old people do before you sit down to eat? I don't need none of your stinking grace. Oh, but you do, said the principal. He studied the young man's face and whispered, Oh, yes, you truly do. Grace is a gift, he said, and is always freely given. It means you will not be getting what you so richly deserve today. The boy looked puzzled. You're not going to whoop me? You're just going to let me walk? Oh, there has to be punishment, the principal said. What you did was wrong, and there are always consequences to our actions. Grace is not an excuse for doing wrong. I knew it, sneered the boy as he held out his hands. Let's get on with it. Principal nodded to the teacher who had brought the boy into his office. He said, get the belt. He folded the belt in half and handed it back to the teacher. He said to the boy, I want you to count the blows. Then the principal walked over and stood directly in front of the young man. He gently reached out and folded the boy's outstretched hands together and then turned to face the teacher with his own hands outstretched. One quiet word came forth from his mouth. Begin. The belt whipped down on the principal's outstretched hands. Crack! went the belt. The young man jumped 
Shock registered across his face. One, he whispered. Crack. Two, his voice raised an octave. Crack. Three, he couldn't believe this. Crack. Four, big tears welled up in the eyes of the rebel. Okay, stop. That's enough. Just stop. Crack came the belt down on the hands of the principal again. Crack, the child flinched with each blow, tears beginning to stream down his face. Crack, no, please, the former rebel begged. Stop, I did it. I'm the one who deserves the punishment. Stop, please stop. Finally, it was over. Principal stood with beads of sweat glistening across his forehead and trickling down his face. Slowly, he knelt down in front of the boy. He studied the young man for a second, and then his swollen hands reached out to cradle the face of the weeping boy. Grace, he said, this is grace. No doubt the boy was amazed. <laughs> no doubt the boy was grateful. No doubt the boy's behavior changed from that day forward. Friends, I want you to know that grace came to you and me through the sacrifice of Jesus of Nazareth, who received the punishment that you and I deserved. His back was whipped for the idols that we have bowed to. Nails were driven through his hands for the evil things that we have done with ours. A spike was driven through his feet for the misguided paths that we have chosen to walk. A crown of thorns was mashed onto his head for the things that we have given our minds to. A lance was driven into his heart for the sinful desires we have held in our hearts. Truly, we have received God's grace, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. So will you respond to God's grace in faith today? Will you believe that Jesus loved you enough to die for you? Are you ready to put your faith in Jesus and accept the forgiveness he offers us all? If you are, fantastic. We would love to talk to you today about giving your life to Jesus Christ. Fill out one of those connection cards right now and let us know you want to do this. We will contact you right away to support and encourage you in this wonderful decision. So don't delay. Don't put off what God is calling you to do right now. Let's pray together. Father God, we open our hearts to you right now. You know what each of us needs to do to draw closer to you. Some of us need to humble ourselves before you for the first time, putting our trust in Jesus to save us. We can only be saved because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So forgive us, Lord. Cleanse our hearts. Welcome us home. Connect us to our brothers and sisters in Christ so we can be supported and encouraged. We surrender our lives and our future to you. In Jesus' name, amen.